Hey everyone, it's Andrew with Leave Your Shoes by the Door, and today I'm joined by Steve Thompson. Steve, thanks for being on here. Thanks for having me. So Steve, I just want to get into a little bit about Steve Thompson, and uh, as you know, there's a big fight next weekend. Uh, the, the, the superstar of, of UFC, Conor McGregor, is coming back. Uh, always brings in big numbers, but my question to you is, I, and I know you pretty well, Steve, what is the best era of the UFC? <laughs> the, the beginning era. Like, Not the very beginning, right? Like UFC 1 to UFC 20, like, you know, Gracie, Randy Couture, like, uh, those, Randy Couture will always be my favorite UFC fighter, just because, number one, I was a wrestler, he was a wrestler, but um, it was just so much more real, and nobody knew what to expect. Now, everybody has to have the same game, but that era, what started the UFC was, I'm putting a karate guy against a wrestler, or a jiu-jitsu guy against a kickboxer, Yeah, and you see which... Which style was the best? And for me, as a wrestler, you know, which uh, we're in Indiana, so wrestlers don't get a lot of, you know, you don't play basketball, you don't really exist in high school. Yeah. So this I, isn't I, Iowa, Steve. Yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. Yeah. Like, I kind of wish I grew up there sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it, for me, it was um, just really cool to see a wrestler come in and on a very foundational level dominate so much more over other styles yeah. because they have to be so multifaceted with their skill set. Yeah. So that's why I love the beginning. But now, like, you'll have somebody that started out in wrestling, but they don't come in the UFC as a wrestler. They no. come in the UFC. I wrestled in high school and college, won a couple titles uh, in CAA, and then I took five years of jiu-jitsu. jiu-jitsu. You know, and yeah. I'm a black belt in BJJ, and I'm also you know, a collegiate wrestler, and I'm also, by the way, like, I'm pretty good at kickboxing, too. You have to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's evolved that quickly, which is pretty cool. Well, that's that's the key word is evolve, and that's what's so interesting about it. And I wonder if you you had, like, a teenager, you know, someone who's 13, 14 years old, and they see that as, like, a sport, like basketball. Everybody plays basketball, so they all all have similar basketball style and play. And And you talk about the beginning of the UFC where it was almost like, like different languages of the same sport. Like yeah. you have a kickboxer, a boxer, a wrestler, yep. and then how that, it was like a social experiment. That yeah. was essentially why it existed, was a big experiment. Right, yeah, and that's, for me, it's... Um, and it's I, almost like a melting pot now, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the America of sports. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's, yeah. For me, I was so much into um, wrestling that I never really realized mm-hmm. that my style was so different mm-hmm. from most other wrestlers. Mm-hmm. My coaches probably did, but they didn't want to mess up like a few good things that were going on so they never really shed light on it for me yeah but I was a really defensive wrestler um so in wrestling you have like you know, leg shots and you have like throws and you have you know different styles that people are better at I never my entire senior year of high school I never took a single shot all I did was throws and sprawls and defense and I never realized like that's evolved into the rest of my life like my my I catch myself all the time my mentality that I take into business or real estate, or anything else that I do, I take that same mentality of a defensive approach where I want the other person to react first, then I'm going to react. That's how I had my success in wrestling. And you can line that up with a bunch of other guys that you're training with, and they And that's will... kind of like uh, how jiu-jitsu works. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a reacting, yeah. using their strength against them kind of yeah. philosophy. It's, um, so jiu-jitsu evolved uh, partly from judo, and judo's whole philosophy is flowing like water. And you use the other guy's momentum against him. You know, so it's like, you know, like when my five-year-old uh, runs at me to try and tackle me when we're wrestling in the living room, which my wife hates, 
um, she'll run at me and I won't even take it on. I'll just sidestep and put my leg out and trip her. And she's like, why'd you do that? I was like, I didn't do it. I just put my leg out. <laughs> it's important that we use the strength of the five-year-olds against themselves. Exactly. Yes. Like, they're not going to grow unless they realize <laughs> they're playing learn. step first. Yeah. So I'm glad that you segued that into, into our industry. And I got to admit, man, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, surprised, but I'm, I'm excited to hear you explain it a little bit more and how you almost have a philosophy of reacting. Because, you know, if I'm just simplifying it, you want to say you're proactive, you attack, you're aggressive, but they, they, there's multiple paths to success. Um, but there's a, there's a, well, let's talk about Steve a little. So, Steve, you've been in the business for a little over six years. Yep, almost seven now. And you're up in Madison. Yep. You want to plug your office, plug uh, what you do up there? Of course, yeah. So, I just took over uh, as the um, sole owner of FC Tucker Thompson franchise up in Madison County. We've got offices in Anderson, uh, Pendleton, uh, brand new in Alexandria, and we also have um, an office in Middletown, which is just across the county line in Henry County, but that's my hometown. Sure. So um, we have um, just, I think it was, what, five years ago now, uh, joined. We have our AMCAR in Madison County, yep. Anderson-Madison County Association of Realtors. Within less than a year of me joining AMCAR, we dissolved it and joined my board. So I got kind of the front row seat yeah. of that. Yeah. And, you know, that's you mentioned we know each other really well. That's a big part of that reason. Yeah. Uh, from the get-go, you know, people in AMCAR, realtors in Madison County, were like, you know, we're joining the big bad my board. We don't really want to be a part of this. You know, we didn't have anybody that would get involved. And Patty Coon was our AE up yep. there. And she said, hey, Steve, you should do this. You should get involved and be one of the first division leaders up in Madison County. So I did. Um, I, at the time, I didn't realize, I thought, like, she sees something in me. I'm so honored. At the time, I didn't realize, like, she had asked everyone else and no one else would do it. <laughs> sure. But I'm so grateful that yeah. I had that opportunity because I got the chance to really understand my board. And um, as a part of that, the first exposure I got to, like, the rest of what my board does um, was when Chris Pryor came up to interview um, local county politicians for RPAC. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what RPAC was or what it did. But I got to be part of those interviews because we didn't have anybody in Madison County associated with RPAC. Yeah. And I loved it. I was yeah. like, I'm doing this. So Chris was like, yeah, that's great because we don't have anybody representing Madison County. So I got in. That was my start. And from there, it went from RPAC to economic development. Um, so I'm, I'm on that board now. I was the chair of RPAC last year. Probably one of the coolest things I'll, I'll, I'll get to do, even though I had to do it all on Zoom with COVID. Right. So many cool professionals in that board. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been able to, as a result of being on these different committees with my board, being involved, we've been able to... Um, open like shed some light on Madison County and bring some people like professionals outside of closer to the metro region yeah to Madison County yeah. we brought some Madison County people to the metro area and it's been really neat to see us you know we've still got a lot of work to do um, you know a lot of people don't understand Madison County and what we do they think like I'll have agents that work in Fishers refer my business because they're like yeah I just can't afford to drive the hour to Madison County I was like, you realize it's 15 minutes up 69. I'll take your referral, right? but you realize it's only 15 minutes away, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's like this barrier at exit 210. You you don't go past Hamilton Town Center unless you have a very distinct reason to do so. Yeah. And uh, that's been the blessing for me is like, I feel like I've kind of just, you know, stumbled into this role. There's of a barrier at the, at the Brown Bunny. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, like you, you have to go past the Brown Bunny. Have but to pass it. Your your entire your entire thought process changes once you pass, yeah, once you pass the, the Nestle bunny. So I, I'm, I'm, we're going to elaborate more on, on some of the things that you touched on there, but I want to go back to kind of uh, a philosophy that I, I believe you carry 
that I think will be interesting, especially uh, after we've done a few episodes of, of this show. And, and one of the things that I really think is so interesting about this, this experiment that is Leave Your Shoes by the Door is I want to interview all different types of realtors, uh, big, small, country, city, you know, all the whole spectrum. But I think what's interesting is the core values that make a realtor successful. And what I think is going to be interesting about your story is from uh, being a wrestler to uh, military to uh, being a police officer and just the, the personality that you would associate with someone that would be successful in that field is a very uh, traditional black and white, this is what's expected of you, these are the marks that you need to do in order to be successful. And I kind of feel on the other side of the spectrum, and this, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it would be you think of the realtor as an extrovert. And you got to take a lot of risks that aren't quantifiable immediately like they would be if you're a police officer or a soldier or even a wrestler. I mean, a wrestler, you don't do what's expected of you. You're on your back in 10 seconds, you know. Um, and I just think that would be interesting because you've, you're successful. You, you've been in it for six years. All those things that you said at the beginning are all major accomplishments that you've made as a professional in this industry. Uh, you're continuing to, to, to grow and, and having a more, make bigger impact in, in our industry and your community. So I wonder, what are some of the values and strengths that you carry from that experience that you can apply, but also, what are some of your weaknesses? What are some things that you personally have maybe like struggled with uh, that some of your peers in our industry you know, have done naturally well that you kind of have a hard time adapting? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's, it's a big question. <laughs> it's, it is a big question, and there's a lot to unwrap about it, but I'm sure we'll get there over the course of this. There's... Um, there's no question, and a lot of my friends that I've made since I've gotten involved in my bore, that's like my favorite part is the relationships I've gotten to make with, you know, different uh, different types of personalities in the industry. That was a must-have for me. I don't think I would have survived had I not um, forced myself into uncomfortable positions where I'm hanging out with those extroverts. Yeah. You know, like I, I've said before, I I used to think that I was an extrovert because I'm. I'm fueled by being around other people. Like I get my energy from being in a room or having conversations like this. Like yeah. this, this, this fills my cup. Yeah, sure. But um, I, because of that, I thought I was an extrovert. What I've learned by working, you know, day in day out with a bunch of, of real estate professionals is I'm definitely not an extrovert sure. compared to a lot of these people. Sure. And for me, uh, what I've realized is there are. There's, I can't think of another industry that allows so many different types of people to be successful by making their own brand. Yeah. And um, some of the people that I am not comfortable hanging out with in public, like in restaurants, is often because they laugh too loud, and I feel like they draw too much attention to us. <laughs> sure, sure. And in my head, I'm thinking, why are you being so boisterous? Because now everyone knows that I'm here, and I didn't want that. Um, you know, that is something that... That's introvert talk right there, that's, Steve. That's, you know, that's... Yeah. I'm having I'm having an epiphany as sure. we sit here. Sure, but it's uh, it's just you know that can go back to law enforcement stuff and I you know I want to be invisible you know it's um, you know I, I want to get in get the job done get out um, that's how I was raised that's how I was built yeah and in this industry it's all about relationships you know as you've talked about on all kinds of different episodes with all kinds of different people here that's the the central theme is that this industry is all about relationships and um, extroverts, people that are easily, like, it's natural for them to just walk up to a stranger, shake their hand, and say, hi, I'm Andrew, and here's what I do. Yeah, right. Uh, for somebody like me who's not built that way, um, you've got to work a little bit harder, you know, to, to prove yourself. Yeah. And that's where I noticed when I came into this, 
you know, I, I was grateful that I was so warmly welcomed. Um, you know, all these people are like, who's this, you know, weird middle-aged bald white guy coming in here that doesn't look like he belongs. So well, Steve was describing anyway. himself, not me in that, that last day. Well, yeah, there's a big, there's one big glaring <laughs> difference between us since this is only a recording, not video. You have more hair than, um, enough hair for both of us. Oh, and, and none yeah. of it is mine. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks great. Right? <laughs> Thank you. That's something else that I've noticed evolve is like when I first met Andrew, he had, um, you had almost like a crew cut. Yeah, sure. And now it's like flowing locks. Why and not? Beauty. Why not, Steve? It's one of those things. It's like I don't fan out too much, but when it comes to hair, it's like obviously something that you know I don't, I don't like. I don't get to hang out with um, chefs that often and taste really good food unless I buy it. Yep. So when somebody cooks me a good meal, I appreciate it. You appreciate and I also it. don't get to brush hair yeah. of my own. So yeah. when I am hanging out with somebody that does do that sure. often, I can appreciate. You that can as live well. vicariously through me for the rest of this interview. I, I would. I mean, yeah. I would love to. You know, just. Talk more about that if you want. <laughs> no, we're good. That'll be another podcast where we'll cover MMA and brushing hair. I actually, um, that would be great because yeah. I can make a really good point for how having long hair in MMA is a really bad idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I, uh, I was, Uriah Faber, I think he had long hair. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I guess he did okay. I, th I see the point you're making there. Yeah. But for me, I was wildly more successful in MMA because I had no hair. Yeah, sure. They actually might, they nicknamed me Steve the Spear Thompson because Ooh. my bald head is kind of pointy, mm -hmm. looks kind of like a spear. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, was the thing, I would, I would t use that to my advantage. It's really easy to slip a bald head in to where you need to, you know, to make a... Are Absolutely. We, are we yeah. getting off on a different path? No, I like it. Because we're talking about friction now, right? Because you didn't have a lot of friction exactly. with your head. Yeah. yeah, I'm notorious for like, you know, when I, when I work out, when I was in wrestling, nobody wanted to wrestle with me in high school because I sweat too much. Sure. And, but that really is a big advantage when mm -hmm. you're a ball guy, you know, you can, uh, you can get out of maneuvers. Like it was very rare for me to get arm barred because I could slip you out. Get out of it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, we're so losing people. Quickly. It's okay. <laughs> so I want to, but I do want to go back to, um, trying to put yourself in that time where you're, you know, everybody, all, every realtor has to make that, that leap, that leap of faith or that calculated risk, whatever you want to call it. But that moment where you, you, you go all in, man, you, you can't, you know, you can, you can dip your, your toe in the water in this industry, but I, I think it's better just both feet in, embrace it. Yep. Um, and you did have strengths though. You, you, you had a career. You, you could have pursued that career of, of law enforcement and I'm sure there was room for growth and, and benefits and you could have had a family and you could have been doing what you want to do, which is serve your community. Sure. But then you made that decision to come in here. So what were some advantages that you had, like you had in wrestling? Yeah. I don't know, maybe if your physical appearance <laughs> helped or what, but what were some advantages that you had? But then I want to talk about what were some major disadvantages that you had. What was a major learning curve Sure. as well, the good and the bad? Yeah. So first of all, um, physical appearance definitely has never been an advantage for me in, in this <laughs> business. Sure. Um, but it was um, not something I learned until after I got into real estate, got fully out of law enforcement. I didn't realize what my motivation was. So I'm a big disc guy, and some people will say that's like voodoo, mo, you know, mumbo jumbo. But I love oh the disc. Per the personality this personality okay got yeah. disc yep yeah yeah so I love disc because it just gives you a tool to learn more about yourself and those that you work with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I use it all the time, mm -hmm. and it it mainly is just a conversation starter. It's not going to be exactly right. It's probably going to be a little bit more accurate than your horoscope. Yeah. But um, I love disc because there's an additional level of it now that talks about the seven motivators. And I, believe it or not, am economically motivated. 
And the difference is people will hear that and they'll say, well, Steve's a 99 out of 100 in economic motivation. All he cares about is money. Sure. But the, the, the difference is economic motivation is not necessarily attributed to money. It's about um, appreciating a tangible return on your investment. So when I was a cop, um, for two years in a row, I was the number one arresting officer in our department. A lot of the, you know, the old salty veterans didn't like that because it meant that they had to do more work to back me up or whatever else. So sorry, guys, if you do listen to this, I've, I've learned that I was wrong now. But it was, for me, so much more about um, doing what I was supposed to be doing, doing my job, and doing it at my highest, uh, my highest level. The problem with being a cop is there's no real, um, there's no real tangible return to get from that. You know, if you're successful, you do a good job getting bad guys off the street, you know, there's nothing to show for that, you know, because crime just continues to happen. Right. Um, and that was something that I was missing. I never realized that, you know, the success didn't um, show me, you know, any value in return. You know, there's nothing to, you know, see come from that. So when you get in real estate, unfortunately it is money, but that's a tangible return on your investment that you can see. I know that if I work this hard, I'm going to make this much money if I stick to my business plan, and that's going to be something that comes out of it. That's a tangible return that I can see, I can feel. And that's, that's where I got my motivation. Um, that's what I saw as <clears throat> the one of two big reasons that I loved real estate, uh, because it filled my cup right. to um, see something come from the effort that I put in. And the other thing was uh, I realized very quickly on that I did identify with that public servant aspect, and yeah. I really... Um, missed more than anything else, you know, not just being around my, my buddies, my peers on the, in the police department, but I missed um, being able to be a public servant. Right. So what I have learned to love about real estate is you can make this business whatever you want. And what I've been able to do is utilize real estate to give me the opportunity, the time, um, the resources to get involved in you know, public service, whether yeah. it be you know, uh, the largest uh, soup kitchen homeless shelter in Madison County, the Christian Center. I'm on their board, which I absolutely love. That obviously attributes well to what we do. Who, who is the the guy for, I, I just want you to name drop him because he's something else. Rob Spaulding. Rob Spaulding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, will, I will admit that when I first came in the Christian Center board, I was a little nervous about it because I loved what they do. But it was like, you're on the board now, you know you handle the executive side of it, you're pulling the curtain back, and I'm going to see what a mess this place is. And Rob was always so articulate. He was always so passionate um, about pouring Christ into these guys. And I got in there, and I was so astounded by what a professional organization he's, he's, he runs yeah. there. Um, so cool. And obviously, Realtor Day of Service, uh, my board of Madco Division, we spend a lot of time interacting with, with the Christian Center. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly where I made that connection, how I got involved. So another reason I'm grateful for my board. Yeah. But yeah, Rob is um, he's one of my heroes, one of my local guys that um, I just can't stop bragging enough about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got the Christian Center. Um, I got into politics. I was able to do that, even though right now politics is kind of like a bad word to use. Sure. Um, you know, that is something that is a public service. And you know, I'm involved in politics on the absolute lowest level, the lowest rung of the political hierarchy. But it allows me to be involved. It allows me to give back, get, you know, be a part of my community. And that's the other side. That, that's the other part of, you know, my hole. That was the other hole that I had in, in my you know, professional life that needed filled. Yeah. And real estate allowed me to have both of those. Yeah. So that's the beauty of it. Uh, that's why I've stuck with the business. That's why I'm so happy here in it. Um, but yeah, like you said, that you can't be successful, you can't achieve things without having downsides. Yeah. 
And, you know, there, there are downsides to it. I've had um, coworkers in the past that were also in law enforcement that can never get past that feeling of, like, this is a really salesy thing. Yeah. You know, you feel like a glorified car salesman. Yeah. And there's good car salesmen, too, by the way. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, yeah. But, but um, you know, you do get that. And there are a lot of people, you you have to charge them money to provide the service that you're providing so you can, you can survive. Yeah. And when you're doing that, there's naturally going to be some clients, some customers that you work with that are going to be anxious about interacting with you. They're yeah. going to feel like all you care about is getting that commission check. And it's my mission. You know, it's my, my agent's mission. I instill it upon them all the time. It's your job to prove them wrong, right. you know, in a loving, servant-minded way. But it's your job to do that. And no one else, you know, if somebody is the hardest, hard-nosed, most hard-nosed client who doesn't trust you for anything and is never going to, you can, you know, just give up on that or you can accept that as a challenge and take it upon yourself to improve the industry overall by proving to them that you're doing this for the right reasons, that you truly want to be and make a positive impact on their life, to right. be a positive influence on their, their house buying or selling experience and make it something that is memorable for them in a positive way. Yeah. So I want to go back because I... I I don't like the idea of you saying, and, and I, know, I, I know I'm simplifying it, but when you labeled yourself economically driven, yeah, because an economically driven, in the most simplest way of understanding that, if you're economically driven, what are you doing volunteering your time on the board of a nonprofit? Because you can't, um, I was just talking to one of my mentors who I actually bought my franchise from, uh, Tom Seal, one of the legends of Madison County Real Estate Game, and the only advice he ever gives me, it drives me bonkers, but the only advice, he has no idea that he just gave me this advice two hours ago, but the only advice he ever gives me is take time for yourself. And um, I think this, you know, everything's competitive. Um, I was, we were talking about before the start, we were talking about Jocko, and I started listening to a few Jocko podcasts at Andrew's, you know, encouragement. My insistence. Yeah, sure. and the last episode that he just did that he dropped was about... Um, was about competition and how everything's a competition. And as it pertains to the military, you know, our country is always in competition with other countries. Even if you're not at, in combat, you're not at war with them, you're constantly competing with them. And the time you spend improving yourself, the time you uh, spend refining your craft and doing what you're best at, doing your job, is for the purposes of, of winning the competition. And in real estate, it's really easy to get bogged down in that mindset and spend all your time, you know, running to the, the next showing call that you get, um, yeah. running to, you know, the next training or CE seminar, you know, running to the next, um, you know, listing appointment where, you know, they say, hey, if you don't come here in four hours and meet us to list our home, we're going to list with, you know, the next realtor over. Right. Um, you know, you've got to be willing to take time for yourself because if you give and give and give at all times, you're, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be successful. Um, you may last longer than you know, the average realtor. You may last a lot longer than me, but you're not going to make it forever with you're that gonna, model. You're going to burn out. Yeah. yeah. So the only way you can have a long-term sustainable career in this industry is to take time for yourself, Tom Seal, because you have to be willing to... Um, and, and who Rest. would have thought that that would be his advice? Yeah. You know, it seems like he would say, set quotas for yourself. Yeah. You know, something really uh, like Wall Street, greed is good kind of thing. You know, you'd yep. think it would just be this like, you know, if you want to be successful, forget friends and family. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that he would give you such a, an opposite way of almost like building that, that 
personal foundation of, of being fulfilled. Yep. And then the, the, the other part will come more naturally. Yep. So shameless plug for my brokerage. I created my own core values since you mentioned core values. And uh, when I first came on to Tucker, they're part of uh, leading real estate companies of the world. And they have a big conference in Vegas that I went to a couple years ago. And I created my fourth core value for my company from a seminar that I was at. And this speaker um, gave his core values, gave you know his, his principles of learning and business. And the last one, the most impactful one that I stole from him was be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm a military guy, so I love acronyms. And SELF is an acronym. And SELF stands for service, education, leadership, and faith. And being true to those four, um, those four characteristics are not something you can truly achieve without taking time out of the business and focusing on what's most important, which is yourself. So, you know, service is a huge thing. Education is something that you should always strive to be doing. That's part of, you know, being a professional. That's part of your business. But it's also just being part of your growth pattern as a, as a human being. Um, your leadership, whether that be uh, servant leadership, you know, you don't have to be the boss to be a leader. Um, you can be the leader and be handing out water bottles on a hot summer day in your community, mm-hmm. like Rob Spalding does. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be a leader, you know, with your kids, with your spouse, you know, with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding where your your attributes are best utilized in leadership is is very important and oftentimes won't have anything to do with business. And then your faith is it's a no-brainer, but that, that goes to wherever you want. You know, whether you're a Christian or whether you're, you know, Muslim or anything else, um, or you're agnostic or atheist. Right. You know, you're going to have faith in something. Yeah. Um, you're going to have faith in yourself, in your future, um, in being a good person in our, in our humanity, our, our communities, our society. And whatever you're faithful to, whatever you believe your purpose for being in this world is, that's what's important for you to focus on. And while you have to be a good business person, you have to make, you know, business your priority sometimes. You aren't going to be your, you know, at your highest and best use as a business professional unless you're taking time to refine your, your soul. You know, I know you pretty well. And I was thinking of all, all the things that, man, I just admire you so much for, uh, you know, putting your, putting your money where your mouth is. You know, getting out there, uh, running for public office and, and volunteering your time and just what you're doing up there in Madison. And, and um, the movie The Departed, right? The okay. gangster movie. Yep. It opens with uh, Jack Nicholson, who's a bad guy. I'm making it clear he's a bad guy, but the line is still awesome. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Oh, that's good. And I think, I, I thought Steve's that kind of guy. Thanks, um, man. That's awesome. So how, how important is, is public service to you? How is it important to you as a realtor, as a dad, as a citizen? What, 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 I yeah. mean, I, I feel like that's you, man. That, that's, yeah. that's your whole thing. Yeah. And that's what's so great, I think, about our industry. And I know I'm a broken record. Um, but I feel like this is truly an industry where you can have your cake and eat it, too. Sure. You can make a career while also strengthening your community. Definitely. So can, just, can you just elaborate on just that philosophy where you got that from? I mean, yeah. if you, I'm, I'm guessing you got involved with the military when you were 18, yep. when you were just a kid. Yeah. So something happened along the way where you understood that, and now you've just carried that. And not only did, were you able to achieve that, but also make a career out of it. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I feel like that's, that's it, what we could all strive for. It's, it's pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got into the Marine Corps. Um, I signed up right after high school. Uh, it kind of just um, happened really quickly. You know, when I was, I, I was in my SAT class as a sophomore, or my SAT test as a sophomore in high school when 9-11 happened. And I was a really aggressive, athletic teenage kid, you know, and I just felt like, from the very beginning, um, I always felt like there was some kind of part of me that 
would be a good fit to get into the military. And if you were waiting for a sign, I mean, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, was, it was just the right time. Yeah. You know? Um, so I signed up for the Army, and the Army said no because I had just recently had a shoulder surgery um, that was a result of a wrestling injury. I now count that as one of my biggest blessings because, no offense to any soldiers listening, but um, if you're going to be part of the team, you might as well be part of the A-team. And I just didn't know at the time that the Marine Corps was the best branch to be in. Uh, plus, their uniforms looked the coolest. So um, I took the opportunity right after high school. A friend of mine signed up for the Marines. I took the, the opportunity to do the same. I had already committed to Indiana State University. I was going to go there and get my chronology degree so I could be a cop because that's what I had figured out I wanted. Over the span of like three years. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to interrupt you. That's, that's what you do. That's what you do. <laughs> well, it's just, I'm trying to be the surrogate for the audience here. Please. You say, you label yourself as economically driven. Yeah. And I, and I don't know everything about law enforcement, but I mean, being, becoming a, you know, studying to become a police officer isn't the same as being a hedge fund manager. Sure. So it's not like you were chasing dollar bills when you when you made that decision. No, economically driven is like I said, a tangible return on your investment. So, so I just need to listen to you rather than because <laughs> no, no, I just keep thinking it's like I just want to be rich. I, I just want to be and rich, that's, and that's why that's why I harp on it so much because your motivators are never exactly what motivates you to do what you do in this world or in in this business are never exactly what it looks like in face value. Yeah, it's never never the case. Economically driven means that you want to work really hard. And see, um, you know, something from that in an equal or greater proportion. Now, so now that you said it for a second time, I'm yeah. finally actually understanding what you're saying. It's, so okay, it's, it okay. may just be me. I, I mean, no. I just refine the way I say it. No, I'm just I'm just being a simpleton over here and just thinking, you know, he just wants to be rich. But yeah. and I know I know you personally well enough that that's not the case. So okay, I, I understand that. I've actually learned um, over the the course of you know being a high producing real estate professional and getting into the point now where I'm a broker, it, a managing broker. Um, being rich is actually comes with more problems than it does luxuries. Sure. Um, you know, tax the tax bracket's a lot higher. Oh, that's yeah. not good. Yeah. Um, but it is like so in high school in wrestling, I, I worked out every day and you know, when you lift weights, you are economically driven, um, oftentimes because you wanna see your, you know, more muscle definition. You wanna yep. see yourself get stronger. You wanna see, you know, I wanna be able to go from two hundred pounds bench pressing to you know, my max of 265, which shows how weak I was because there's a lot of people that, you know, worked out for shorter periods of time than that and were able to lift a lot more. But for me... You said 265? 265, That's yeah. That's weird because mine was 266. That's what I said. <laughs> you know, so, what? I mean, I, that's not important, but I, I look it's at, important that you know that. I look at that as a, a, <laughs> a defining characteristic of how I always have to strive just a little bit harder and never get there. A little bit, yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's good to know, though. Yeah, I, I felt... I felt like I needed to let you know that. It's it's fine. I mean, you know, even even one uppers have a place in this world. That's like true. I said, you know, there's some there's something for everybody. <laughs> uh, sorry, man. Keep going. No, you're fine. That that's a that I actually um, for those that um, are listening, there's um, we're in my board and there's a board a whiteboard next to us, and it says at the top, serious question, asterisk. Can Andrew actually be funny? That's my motivator, Steve. You, can you, I? Did That's you, my existential question. Can I? Did you write that for yourself? No, no, no. A coworker wrote that. That hurts more. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't. I saw it for the first time and really absorbed it. You know. But I'll tell you, man. Like we we spent a lot of time at division meetings together. Um, I've loved how you've evolved yourself as a you know as a as a public speaker, um, as an engager. You know, you're like the you know the biggest salesperson for my board, especially the divisions. And just like me, like I look to you as somebody who has really evolved themselves. 
um, you were not in this sector. You were on the IT side, right? Yeah. And then you got into this, you know, division ambassador position, and you probably felt really uncomfortable at first. Is, like, I was intimidated. You stuck a lot more to the script um, of my more <laughs> announcements yeah. four years ago at division meetings than you do now. Yeah. Like, sometimes I feel like you don't even have anything written down in your book. You just make them up as you go. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And that's that's an evolution, man. Like, you... you Put yourself in a position. You know, my board puts you in a position. I'm sure you had to agree to it. Yeah. You had to be willing to take on the challenge. But my board saw something in you that may have not been there yet, and you found that for yourself, and you were able to achieve it. Yeah. And that's that's no different than anything else. Like, I don't think you'd be you'd be excited to be in the position you're in if you weren't able to see you know relationships like ours. Yeah. Grow and um, evolve from you know, your level of engagement. As you've gotten better, your relationships have gotten deeper, they've gotten closer. That's a tangible return on your investment of bettering yourself as the division lead on. Yeah. So, you know, whether you know it or not, you've got some kind of economic driver in you that wants to see yourself get better and improve. We all do. Yeah. It just doesn't have to be about money. Are you saying I'm economically driven? I mean, I'd like you to take the DISC personality test and get back to you. I'm going to consider that. That's interesting. And thank you for the kind words. Of course. They're true. Um, this isn't about me. This is about Steve Thompson, but I will talk about me later. Uh, I'll, I'll, when I start my podcast, <laughs> can I be your first guest? All right, well, we're going to take a quick break so that we can hear from the MyBoard updates. Hello, everyone. I am Jamie Barb, and welcome to the MyBoard update. February is here, and that means the spring market is just around the corner. Before things start to heat up, learn how to save time and generate more showings at one of our free Showing Time Live webinars. Discover how you can use their complimentary service to save time, generate more showings, and help to sell your listings more efficiently. Visit mybor.com slash tech trainings to register today. Mybor's building to open beginning February 2nd. As COVID-19 concerns grew across the country, Mybor made the decision to close our office building through the holiday season. Although our physical building was closed to ensure the safety of staff and members, service was uninterrupted. Through these extraordinary times, MyBoard has placed priority on two things, the health and well-being of our staff and members, while also ensuring that service was uninterrupted. As we move into this new normal, those priorities will remain highest. MyBoard will continue to make informed decisions based on the latest research-based facts and guided by our mission and values. Beginning February 2nd, the building will open Tuesday through Thursday, open Monday for appointments only, and close on Friday for deep cleaning. Curbside pickup will remain an option Monday through Thursday. Please call ahead for this option. For more on what to expect when visiting MyBoard, visit mybor.com slash coronavirus. Kickstart 2021 by making a commitment to learning more and dedicating time to be an even better professional realtor. Join the growing list of members who have already completed the MyBoard Master Professional Certification Program. Our next MPro Bootcamp will take place virtually February 22 through 26. Some of the activities you're doing already, like attending MyBoard division meetings or taking tech trainings, can count towards the certification. If you've completed NAR's C2EX, then you are able to become MPro Plus certified. To learn more, visit mybor.com MPro. On behalf of the Ball Committee and the MyBoard Realtor Foundation staff, thank you for supporting the Ball, a benefit for the Realtor Foundation. Our association's traditions continued on with the gift of technology to keep us connected. In the end, you helped us raise more than $65,000 for the Realtor Foundation and its work to help the homeless of Central Indiana. 
Thanks to the donations of many and the generosity of our sponsors, 400 meals were delivered to seven local charities to feed those experiencing homelessness in our community. Congratulations as well to the 2020 Industry Award winners announced at the ball. Hats off to Amy Mokus of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Indiana Realty, who was named Realtor of the Year. Amy was joined by fellow honorees, Distinguished Service winners John Kramer of Century 21 Sheets and Dee Young of New Day Realty, FC Bud Tucker winner Mike Wood of Bailey & Wood Mortgage Lender, Affiliate of the Year Julie Catton of ATA National Title Group, and Denver Hut Rising Star winner Larry Nutt of Fancher Mortgage Group. Congratulations to all the deserving winners and nominees. And that's all today for your MyBor update. And now back to our interview with Steve Thompson. The, the two things that I'm, I'm walking away, and we, we've, we've hammered the economically driven, so let's move on from that. But the reacting thing, and that's another thing that I feel like if I were to describe to Steve Thompson, that wouldn't have been one of the things I said. I mean, you just said at the beginning of the podcast that you're, you're going out to Alexandria, that you ran for public office, that mm-hmm. you, you, know, you, you, you seem like, a, like an attacker, like you, 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 you know what you want and you go out and you get it. So how can you... Uh, reform that idea, much yeah. like the economically driven thing to, to reacting. Because I am trying, yeah. trying to listen to you say, because like when you said you made that, that move into uh, real estate and you saw some of your peers and how they were uh, extroverts and you kind of felt uh, intimidated by that, you saw that as a challenge and how am I going to react to this challenge right. and, and make it work for me? Is that, is that kind of your, your belief system and it why is, you're yeah. able to label yourself that? Yeah, so when I, when I was in law enforcement, um, you know, like I said, I, I felt like I was a pretty good cop. And, um, you know, we had our own struggles. I worked in Marion uh, for Marion City Police up in Grant County. We have our own struggles. You know, the tax base is a lot lower than what it is, like, in other communities where they get to buy their cops nice gear um, or pay them adequately sure um and that's nothing to say about any of the leadership up there or anything else it's just you know you're you're you are a product of your environment in the political world yeah um there's only so much you can do with the resources you have provided to you so yeah so for me um you know the struggles the frustrations that i had in law enforcement were a big reason i got into um back into school because i never i never finished my degree went to Indiana state did it for a year then went to the marines and then i came back from a deployment to iraq and i immediately got hired for a job as a police officer in my hometown. And I was planning to go back to school and finish my criminology degree to get uh, a job as a cop. So I said, why finish my college degree to get a job that I already have? So I just took off in my real real life, my adult life. I mean, that had to be a huge opportunity. It was. You had to be thrilled with that. Really, yeah, it was really cool. And a big part of what I attribute to that is, um, you know, a lot of my friends did go through college and they talk about their frat experiences and I always um, counter that when they say, oh, you, you never were in the Greek life. You know, no, I was a part of the largest fraternity in the world, the mm. United States Marine Corps. Sure, sure. Yeah. And when I came back, uh, a very close family friend of mine introduced me to the chief of the Militone Police Department, who's still a good buddy of mine to this day, Randy Ray. And he was a police officer, or he was, a, a, he was the chief of the police. He was also a former Marine. Right. And he said, here's a Marine coming right back from Iraq. He's from our hometown. He wants to be a cop. I'm going to give him a chance. So glad he did because that's a part of my life that I'll forever be uh, grateful and proud of is being a police officer in our communities. Yeah. You know, when it got to that point where it was evolving, changing, it was, you know, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go from here? Where do I feel like I can have more impact, do more good in a different way? Because it felt frustrating to me. A lot of cops do good and are impactful every single day, but I was just evolving. I was changing. So I decided to go back to school and I lived in Anderson at the time, Madison County. 
So I signed up as an adult student at Anderson University. And I decided that I was going to get in real estate, had a family friend in real estate. I was going to get in real estate to pay my way through school and quit law enforcement. So I did it on a whim. So I got to ask you, um, yeah. and, and you're still really young. You, you, don't, you don't know a lot about this world. You know, you've kind of sure. been in that, that narrow thing that just all young people have been. Did, that didn't, you, you didn't think real estate's just not me. I'm, I'm not that personality. That's not for me. Like, I felt that to a, to a certain extent, sure. But, you know, I saw that, you know, I, I recognized that there's a lot of different types of realtors in the beginning before okay. I got into it. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I thought that there was a way that I could make it my own. Sure. Um, and I wanted the challenge. You know, yeah. I wanted to do something different. And let's be honest, that was about money. Because at that point in my life, you know, I was a cop. Uh, Trisha, my wife, was a teacher, and we didn't have, you know, we were pretty much paycheck to paycheck. Some of that was because we were young and irresponsible and made some bad decisions. But it, I got to say, it's, it's awesome you guys are both public servants. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and, right, and that's, that's so common. Um, the, the, most, the most common spouse for a police officer is a nurse. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of different reasons and jokes for why that happens, but it's oftentimes public servants. Yeah. Um, so when I got into Anderson University... I immediately decided, you know, this is, I think real estate's going to work. I got my, got my license. My, my, Trisha and I both signed up for the course, took it together, and both got licensed about the same time. I got into real estate and had an injury. I was off work for a month, and I was able to sit down on a desk. So I just sat down on a desk and just tried my hand at, you know, calling for sale by owners mm-hmm. or reaching out to people that I knew that were going to be looking to get into real, or to buy or sell real estate. And after a month, I had absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, I was about to go back to work, and I was really depressed. I was like, you know, I re- I'll never forget the first time I put my police uniform on to go back to my shift. And my sergeant at the time was Steve Wolf, great guy. And I got in my car, and I'm driving the lonely 40-minute drive from Anderson to Marion to go to work. And I just didn't feel it anymore. I lost that passion, that drive to be a police officer. And that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, because right. shortly after that time was when um, Ferguson happened. Mm-hmm. And obviously we know what's happened since then. Mm-hmm. We won't go down that road. Yeah. But that was um, an impactful moment for me. So I called Sergeant Wolf and I said, hey, can I come in and meet with the chief? I want to resign. And he said, ha ha. And I said, no, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I put on my uniform, looked at myself in the mirror, and I can't do it anymore. And he said, all right. Uh, so it took guts, up. man. It it was it was it, took guts. it was tough. A lot of people said, "No, this is this is my life. This yeah, is what I'm, I'm gonna, supposed yeah. to be doing. This I've, is my paycheck. This I'm, is my career." I'm pot committed. Yeah. yeah, which I wasn't yet, but yeah. I was close. You know, you get to a certain point, you got to be in in law enforcement for at least 20 years to earn that pension. Okay. And a lot of guys will say, "You know, I'm 14 years in. I've only got six years to go. I've gone this far. I'm only six years away from a pension. I'm gonna I'm gonna tough it out." Six years is a long time. It is it's a long it is. time. That's how long I was in law enforcement. Sure, so sure. luckily I had 14 years to go because who knows? I may have been that guy too. I probably would have been. Like, it's return on investment. I've gotten this close to that 20 year goal. I'm gonna stick it out whether I like it or not. Yeah. But only being six years in, having a young kid, um, having a, a, a new relationship, uh, just gotten married to Trisha, I was like, I can't do it. You yeah. know, and there's. There is a responsibility as a law enforcement officer, and if you're really, your heart's not in it, that's when you're a lot more likely for things to go bad. And when we see the negative things happening in our society right now, a lot of that's because we're not taking care of our police officers. Mm-hmm. So I was there. I had felt that. I didn't know why I felt it, but I knew I felt it. So I went to I went to the police department, walked in, sat down with the chief, told him I couldn't do anymore, and asked to resign. And he's like, you can resign. You don't, have, you don't need my permission to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you saying something. So I did. Uh, I resigned. Gave him my badge, gave him my gun. I went outside and I called my wife and I said, 
hey, she said, hey, your shift's getting ready to start. What are you calling for? I said, well, because I just quit. And she said, ha, ha, ha. And I said, no, seriously, I just quit. And she knew how bad it was. She knew how much I wasn't loving it. And she said, well, does that mean you're going to be home for dinner then? <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> so I said goodbye to the guys that were there on shift. I went home, and I, I can never give my, my wife enough, um, you know, grace and admiration and, you know, kudos for how she handled that because, to you know, it, you know on, from her side of it, she was just missing her husband. You know, she was missing the father of her daughter. She was excited to have me home for holidays, for weekends, for, you know, dinners. Um, so that was a big motivator for her and not wringing my neck for just quitting without even consulting with her first. But she loves you, and she, she, she probably felt it. She felt that you weren't did. fulfilled and that you, I don't know, and just... And she saw that this could work too. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to go full-time in real estate, and I'm going to go full-time in, in uh, college. And I signed up for 18 credit hours that next semester. I was taking 18 credit hours and working 60 hours a week as a realtor. And two things happened. Number one, um, shortly after getting going in it, I got really sick. I spent a week in the hospital because I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh, I had double pneumonia because I wasn't watching my health, and um, I was working myself too hard. That happened, and then I started to have some success. And I realized that, you know, I looked after my first year in the business. I had, you know, closed about 30 transactions after my first full year, and I said, man, like, if I stick with this and, you know, these things that I were just hypotheses that I thought may work, now that those are actually working and I can see where that's going to be a good fit for me, if I just stick with this, I can make more money in real estate than I even ever could as an attorney. Yeah. And why go to school? Why pay all these all these you know tuition bills to get it to you know earn an amount of money that's still less than what I could do without having to spend any money any money on college at all? Yeah. So I said, all right, I'm failing my classes because I'm spending too much time on this real estate gig that I'm loving. And I never told my wife this; she's going to hear this for the first time. But I took out another student loan for the fall semester. Didn't sign up for classes. I used that student loan to pay our bills for the next six months, and I went all in on real estate. And it was a huge risk, and that was my driver. Sometimes I'm, I'm notorious for putting myself in a position where there's no choice but to succeed because then it makes it easier for me. Like that pressure of whether or not this could work or not is off because there's no chance, there's no choice. I have to succeed at this. So that's what I did for myself. Hindsight, probably should have shed some light on that, that plan with my wife, you know, because we, you know, should tell each other everything. Sure, sure, sure. But it worked out. Yeah. And, you know, we invested in Zillow. And that's what I use that money. I use some of our, you know, uh, normal expenses for Zillow, use the tuition to pay our bills, and started growing my business with Zillow and with for sale by owners. I love FISBOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love showing them the value that a real estate professional can bring to them and yeah. take that worry and stress off their plate. Yeah. And it worked for me. That was my model, and it worked great. Um, and it took off from there. We started a team. Uh, the team got bigger, manifested into a desire for me to be, you know, a, a leader on a larger base and be the broker and, you know, culminated in where we're at now, you know, six and a half years later and I get to be the broker. So two things I really want to point out is one, I can't help but uh, acknowledge how interesting it was that, I don't know, at this point I'm guessing you're in your early 20s in your... Late 20s. Yeah, this was, so I'm 34, I'll be 35 in May and that was May of, you know, six, six years ago, so... I would have been 28. Well, so I was going to say, yeah, so uh, late 20s, 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm still going to say you were a kid. because I was. There's so I, much life to learn. For right? a lot of people that I work with on a daily basis, I'm yeah, still a kid. Exactly. I'll be a kid for a long time. Yeah. Um, and you got, you know, you're going to school at Anderson University, and, you know, you think of going to college, and it's great, but you also can't help but acknowledge that you're just racking up a bill, right? <laughs> yeah. So you're racking up a bill. The meter is running. You want to become a lawyer, or so you think you want to become a lawyer, you're currently a, a police officer, which mm-hmm. is in itself a, a fine career. Great career. And you're also dabbling in real estate. So you got about four entities pulling at you yep. while also being married. And you said you had a, a kid at this point? Yeah, yeah. And then you, you're you a risk taker. That's my second point is you are a risk taker. It's So I am. Um, I'm told that a lot. But for me, it's about calculated risks. So when I was in law enforcement prior to that, I um, in the Marine Corps, uh, when I was in Iraq, I took a course online to become a self-defense instructor. Mm-hmm. And I worked with um, a, a course that's run by a guy named Tony Blower out of California. Great guy, really understands the physics of combat, of hand-to-hand combat. And I learned a lot from that, but one of my favorite things that I learned from that is that my philosophy behind uh, self-defense was not about, um, you know, learning moves, like, you know, the whole break the wrist, walk away. Right. I can't stand that because, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I primarily did women's self-defense because, you know, they need it the most. They need to feel confident in themselves. Sure. And a lot of people would say, um, you know, can you teach me a move to get out of some guys trying to choke me or trying to, you know, take me into his car? No, I can't teach you that move. I can teach you that you have to believe that you're able and capable to do that because bad guys want to do everything but but two things. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to get caught. That's all they care about. So if you believe in yourself enough to show that bad guy that if he's going to try to victimize you, he's either going to get hurt or caught, then you're going to get away. You win. But the problem with a lot of women is, the problem with a lot of men, is they don't believe that they are strong enough or capable enough to defend themselves. So with my self-defense mentality, it was all about teaching people how to believe in themselves and their ability to defend themselves more so than it is about teaching them a move. Because, you know, you know that, you, know, you see on UFC that those guys have done that, that jab or that headlock or that armbar thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And the only reason that they got good at executing that maneuver was because of repetition. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, Susie the accountant, and you've got two kids and a husband, and you know you volunteer at your church on the weekends, guess what? That's not your interest. You don't have time to do that break-the-wrist maneuver thousands and thousands of times to where you can do it in your sleep. The only thing that you can do is spend all of your free time, all of your waking time, on reminding yourself and teaching yourself and convincing yourself that you're worth it to defend yourself. You're worth it to keep yourself from being victimized and keep yourself alive. And the biggest thing that I learned from Tony Blower, my favorite acronym, because it's always about acronyms, is his acronym for FEAR. FEAR is an acronym that for failure expected, action required. And I take that into my risk calculations. For me, a lot of times when I see how big this bill is going to be to buy this new office building, or how big this bill is going to be to buy this brokerage, that is a huge risk that's scary. And for somebody to see that, um, as an opportunity, but not on the other side of the spectrum, see that as a, as a scary risk and, a f- and be afraid of that. Right. If you're not willing to admit that that's true, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. The difference is, if you're afraid of that, it's because you expect yourself to fail. 
The only thing that is going to stop you from failing is taking the action required to make that not, not the case. So I look at that as my foundational belief for my risk. If it looks risky and it looks really risky, but it looks achievable, I need to identify what's holding me back from doing it, why I think it's scary, what, what I'm afraid of, and then figure out what the actions are that I'm going to have to take to achieve the difference that's going to overcome that, that risk of failure and make that my requirement. Require myself to take those actions, to take those steps to achieve what I'm trying to do to overcome that fear. So that works for you. So now that you're overseeing agents, um, and you, 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 you mentioned DISC, and you mentioned all different types, and, and one of the, the processes we've learned with this podcast is realtors come in all different shapes and sizes. So it's your responsibility, though. You know, they're putting their faith in you that you're going to help guide them to be successful in this industry. So you have the agent who just is completely in over his or her head, whether it's a listing that is just, it's a, it's a bigger listing than what they're accustomed to, or a client who's really intense, how do you guide them? I understand how you guide yourself, sure. but how do you then provide that for your, your, your staff or your agents? Sure. Well, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to help them get there. A lot of times it's just um, helping them recognize something that they said while they're explaining their problem to help them figure it out for themselves because we're all capable of that. Sometimes, you know, my biggest job as a, as a coach for new agents is to be two things. Number one, to be an account, accountability partner, and number two, to keep them focused on their goals. And, um, you know, if, if that's not able to do it, we actually need to find a tool to help them, you know, uh, overcome a problem or, or uh, you know, a worry, then we'll use DISC for that too sometimes. And, yeah. you know, so like I'm economically motivated, but there's other factors to that. So one of the other big ones that's really, really popular and talked about often is the power motivator, you know, being motivated by power. And that's not necessarily, you know, being in charge or, you know, being the, you know, being the biggest, baddest guy in the room. Power can be about, you know, your influence or your ability to help people achieve what they want to achieve. That's power. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. have that natural ability. Yeah. So for some people, if that's their motivator, then we'll use power, you know, with that really, you know, difficult client who, you know, is really powerful and overcoming and overbearing, you know, helping them see that, you know, you're a person and that you are providing them a service and that there is a value for the real estate professional within the transaction uh, that we are relevant in this industry that can be your power, you know, by being graceful, you know, helping them yeah. um, see your value and your worth, that can be your power, you know, and whatever that motivator is, that's just another example of helping an agency where they need to believe in themselves and what, what makes them special, what makes them unique and what's going to give them the edge over their competition or over their barriers or their hurdles or over whatever it takes to achieve what they're trying to achieve. I think it's so interesting, all these uh, ideas that you're applying because, I mean, what I, what I truly feel like is, is one of your things that you do personally, but what you also try to pass off to people who, who cross paths with you is almost like a self-realization. Sure. You know, like, don't go read this book. Look inside. Look internally. And you need to, you need to figure out what makes you tick. You need to figure out what motivates you. What, what's your charge? What's, what's your role? You, and you yeah. need to figure that out for yourself. And then let's talk. And right. then worry about what's across the table. Yeah. I, and I feel like every and I'm talking about myself here, uh, I feel like everybody could, could learn a thing or two about that. Look inside for once. I feel like right now we all look outside. You yeah. wanna you wanna tweet how you're feeling, you wanna post how you're feeling, you wanna read something that's gonna inspire you. And just look inside of yourself for once and, and really try to figure out what makes you tick. So a lot of people will do um, you know, real estate seminars or training, you know, you know, training classes. 
or they'll read books or they'll listen to podcasts. By the way, um, you know, you're a big part of the reason I started listening to podcasts because I had a, a, a goal for the last four years to hit a target number of books read in a year. Sure. And I failed every single year. <laughs> and I finally realized it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So I gave up on it. I decided to start doing audiobooks. And that didn't work really well either. So now I'm in a podcast. Yours is the only sh- podcast show that I've watched every episode on. So congratulations. Yeah, on man, that's awesome. Thank um, you. The problem is that uh, I'd rather watch all the Joe Rogan episodes if there's like 2,000. <laughs> there's so so I've many. Got and they're all four hours long. Yes. Man. I don't know how people do it. Yeah. Well, he's got other other things helping him get through his episodes. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Here. Yeah. But um, what I loved about, you know, training seminars or books or podcasts, whatever it is, is I figured out that my best opportunity was to find my one little nugget, my one little tidbit of inspiration in that, and then give up on trying to let that book transform my life. Give yeah. up on that seminar trying to transform my life. You know, take a couple nuggets from it and then use those to inspire yourself to change how you think you need to change. You know, I don't care who it is. Joe Rogan could be teaching me. Jocko could be teaching me. Andrew Huber could be teaching me about some kind of growth opportunity that I want to, to work toward. But I'm not going to do it the same way that you do. Yeah. Or Joe Rogan or anybody else. I need to be willing to... Well, Joe Rogan's going to leave that room. And then you're stuck with Steve. Exactly. And you need to figure out what works for Steve. Joe yeah. could pro- provide things that pump you up and inspire you. But that, that figure is leaving. And you're left with your own shadow. Yeah. So I, I encourage people all the time, read a book. Yeah, read a book because it's good for you. And you never know at what page. It could be the first page, the middle page, or the last page where you're going to get that nugget. So you need to commit to yourself, if you're going to read that book, you're going to read it all the way through so you can find that nugget. But then don't focus on that. Don't make that the defining characteristic of who you try to transform yourself into as a human being or as a professional or as a a dad or mom or a husband or wife. Take that nugget and put that in your toolbox and remember that you have a unique set of skills. You have a unique set of abilities, unique set of tools in your toolbox that make you who you are. Let your influences inspire you, but don't let them become you. So let me ask you something. And I took one of those kind of personality tests a few years back and was kind of shocked about it. Are you the type of person that you see your weaknesses and you see your strengths and your number one priority is to improve your weaknesses? Or are you one of those people that see your strengths and your weaknesses and then realize this is what I do well, so I'm going to double down on that? Yeah, so I talked about uh, core values. I'll give you this one. This is uh, my second core value of four um, is never stop improving. And where I took that from was directly attributed to the Marine Corps. Because when you when we were in Iraq, we would have um, fighting positions that we would have to you know overwatch an intersection. And you have um, range cards that you, you create that, talks, that lets the guy that comes in after you know what happened uh, while you're on duty. Um, lets him know what certain vantage points are. So like, hey, that, um, that telephone pole uh, you know, at 2 o'clock is exactly 200 meters from our fighting position. So you create these range cards, and then the, one of the primary goals for your time on that, on that station is to improve it. Uh, you should never leave a fighting position without doing something to make it better, whether that's cleaning it up, whether that's, you know, Fixing the seat where you're sitting, whether that's adding more camo to the outside so it's more hidden, uh, whether that's you know making sure that the, the protective bulletproof glass is intact and there's no cracks or anything, you never leave that fighting position without improving it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because if everybody does their job and everybody continues to improve it a little bit, by the time you get to the point where you need that fighting position to save your life, it's going to be... It's going to be able to do that. It's going right. to be awesome. Yeah. So I took that that fundamental uh, belief and 
transform that into one of the core values. Mm -hmm. And we use that in a brokerage. I use that with myself. And it's probably the thing that, that pushes me the furthest is that every day my goal is to improve just a little bit on something, to never get worse. I'm going to get worse in some areas, but if I have a bad day, you know, uh, I have a bad transaction, a client fires me, um, I'm going to take that and I'm going to learn from it. But then in another facet of my life, I'm not going to let that define me. And I'm going to have another facet of my life where I improve a little bit more that day. So I can feel like I had a success there. And when, you're, when you force yourself to, to think from that mentality, you know, operate from that perspective, you can't help but to succeed. You can't help but to get better and achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve. You know, that was um, really profound for me when I first started out because, um, you know, we talked before we started about the primary audience for this podcast is, you know, people just starting out that feels like it's really rough right now. Like there's no listings you know, every buyer has a, has a best friend or a cousin that's an agent. Nobody wants to work with me, and it's really hard to get your footing. And, you know, I've, I've really learned that from the very beginning, my first huge lesson and my first big loss was, you know, remember I said I like to call for sale by owners. Mm -hmm. And I called a for sale by owner. I probably shouldn't have, in all honesty now, like I wasn't prepared to take on that listing. I hadn't learned enough. I was only a couple weeks in. But they liked my personality. They asked me to come over. They said, yeah, you know, you called at the exact right time. We're done. We're done doing for sale by owner. We want to list our house. Yeah. So they had me over. We went through the house. We established a rapport. Turned out he was a police chaplain. Great guy. A really cool guy. Had a really cool story. And it was awesome. And uh, the, the conversation flowed. We clicked together. I was like, I'm going to get this listing. Totally. Like, this is going to be my first true organic listing. Yeah. We sat down at the table and they said, all right, let's talk about money. Let's talk about how it works. I told them what I charged. I told them like, how the process worked to list the property. And they said, all right, so who, play, who pays closing costs? And I was so new, so green in real estate that I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what closing costs were. Sure. So my response to them was, uh, <laughs> You're sitting in this guy's kitchen. <laughs> I'm literally yeah. sitting in his kitchen. Yeah. He's like, this young guy, he's, he's got all the motivation. You know, he's a go-getter. He's going to sell my house for me. Yep. Hey, Steve, who pays the closing costs? And I said, uh, uh, Give me a second while I Google that on my phone. <laughs> yeah. I said, I think you do. And he said, I do. I thought the buyer did. And yeah. I said, um, I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you. Yeah. And the wife said, you don't know who pays the closing costs? And I said, well, it's just, it's really confusing and I'll get back to you. And I knew I was defeated right there. Yeah. Yeah. I walked out of there, you know, I expected a call back. I got that call back a week later when they told me that another agent was going to list their home, but he appreciated my time. And it felt, because nobody likes to, to sound like an idiot. Nobody likes to feel like they don't know what they're doing, no. you know, to be called out. And that hurt. And for me, it was like, that's a big setback. That for, just starting out, hadn't closed a deal yet, was nowhere near closing a deal. And had all these, you know, I had college bills. I had a, you know, a two-year-old at home. I had a wife who, you know, had a decent job but didn't have benefits. You know, our benefits with my law enforcement career were going to run out soon. There's a lot of pressure. And I thought, is this, am I, what am I doing? Is this yeah. the right move? Yeah. And I took that opportunity and said, well, I'm never going to let this be my fault again. So I sat down and I Googled it and I studied and I figured out what closing costs were. And guess what? Two weeks later, I had another opportunity with another seller. Same exact situation. It was a for sale by owner who had given up, was ready to list it with a realtor. And he asked the exact same question. So who pays the closing costs? And this well. time, I was like, well, <laughs> sir, through my experience and training, I can tell you. Yeah. And I, I explained to him, well, so closing costs are a misnomer because you know, closing costs are everybody's responsibility in the transaction, whether you're the buyer or the seller. You're going to have your closing costs associated with the seller side. He's going to have his closing costs associated with the buyer side. That buyer may ask you to give him a credit for his closing costs. 
but essentially he's just financing his closing costs over the grand scheme of the, the transaction, over his 30-year mortgage. Yeah. So, so don't look at it as you're paying his closing costs. Look at it as you're giving him 300 or 3000 bucks from his own his own mortgage so he can cover his closing costs and he's like you know what i've i've listed several homes and i've never had a realtor explain it that well and i was like ah. swish yeah it was perfect totally you know and that was a moment where it was like if i would have just taken that defeat and said well, I never want to talk about closing costs again, so I'm sure as heck not going to learn about it because I don't even want to remind myself. I don't want to that, have that, that feeling horrible again. experience. Yeah. Then I wouldn't have improved, and that would that would have been a hole that was there, and yeah. that would have been a barrier um, that was not there to stop the bad guy from getting in. That would have been um, the loss that made, or you know, the weakness that made another competitor better than me. That would have made uh, that would have been the kink in the armor that allowed the client to lose faith and um, faith in my abilities yeah. to take care of them. Yeah. And because I was willing to get past that and use my loss as a motivator to get better and constantly improve a little bit every single day, I was able to capitalize a lot. And eventually that became a great client who we still work with today. And um, he's bought and sold many homes. And I look back on that that point in my life where I felt like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to ever get the next deal because they're not, nobody's ever going to trust that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what? The first few didn't, but the, the next ones got a little bit better. It got a little bit better where now people will call me just because they, they feel like if they're going to make a decision, they've got to have Steve's input. Yeah. And it, it's a process. It's never going to happen in one day. Uh, if you've listened to every episode, you know what's going to happen next. And I'm, I'm excited to hear the answer on this one. How does Steve Thompson define success? I did not come prepared to answer that question, but I can, um, so, I mean, and, and I, I, you know, I interrupt, that's what I do. Uh, yeah, please. <laughs> but, you know, at the very beginning, you Give me some about, time to figure out what I'm going to Go ahead, say. yeah, sure, sure. Um, closing costs, right. <laughs> so, uh, you're going to close, right? It's going to cost, right? Yeah, it's, it, those uh, both are guarantees with closing is costs. Is my phone ringing? Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Um, so, here it is. So, success for me is not... I think I've listened to almost every episode you've done, and I'm probably going to take a different spin on it than anybody else would. That's um, that's the thing, man. It's a good. it's an ambiguous question. So you don't you don't you can't define success while you're still alive. For yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, so I interviewed some kids um, this week. We did mock interviews for them, and uh, Madison County Leadership Academy does a youth leadership academy. And while I haven't been through a real. I will, you know, put my LAMC on a pedestal all day because it's an outstanding program. And they bring their, um, they bring their alumni back to help with the Youth Leadership Academy in different sessions. So I was inter- doing mock interviews with these kids, these 17-year-old kids. I interviewed three kids, two of the boys. Uh, both said the exact same thing. Had no idea that they were the exact same. But they both, I asked them what their life goal was. And they both said, in one way or another, to leave a legacy um, and make the world a better place and leave it better than I found, you know, than I, make my mark on our world. And for me, this business, more than any other trade, any other job, any other industry, provides us the opportunity to be involved in every aspect of our community, every aspect of our society. If you leave this world, you leave a legacy with doing good and have, achieving something to make the world a better place, then that's a success. I don't know that I can measure or count my success now. Someone may call me successful, but I don't believe that I've achieved my success yet because right. I'm still improving every day. I'm still growing every single day. Um, so to me, defining success is um, how, it, how it all 
ends up at the end. And what, what, what is my definition today? Because yeah. tomorrow it's going to be different. Yeah. I, why are you worried about being a success today? Yeah. You're, that's, not, that's not the goal. I, I, if you tell me, hey, I've achieved it, and, and leave your shoes at the door, this was the episode. <laughs> like the Steve pinnacle. Thompson, he put me over the top. I'm a success. <laughs> I'm calling Tricia. I'm yeah, out. I'm, I'm done. done. I'm retired. You know, you know what I'm going to say? So what are you going to do now? Yeah. What, what's next? Yep. And if you have a, a measure of what it takes for you to be considered a success, then you're telling yourself that as soon as I achieve that, I'm done. Yeah, right. And to me, defining success isn't even a, a worry. That's why I had to stumble and didn't have an answer because it's not something that I, I even consider. I'm not a success until I'm done and then I hope that I achieved it. Yeah. Um, success is not something you should be focused on getting a little bit better every single day. It should be your, should be your focus. And one thing I want to talk about, at the very beginning we were talking about UFC and all the different fighting styles in uh, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. For those who are wondering, that that truly ended up being the definitive fighting style. Yeah. All everybody's one, and it's the Gracie, the Gracie way, the Royce yeah. Gracie way, and it's a, it's a way of reacting. It's yeah. a way, just kind of like what we've been talking about with your kind of theme of reacting. And though in broad strokes, you're thinking, man, you want to be the aggressor, you want to attack. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu wins. They're yes. the ones who win the fight. You, and I think that's an important thing: is that you're reacting. They won at the very end. Their hands were raised. So it's, it's, it doesn't matter how the fight goes. It's whose hand's raised at the end. That's exactly right. You, you cannot react. Um, you, cannot be, you cannot take up a defensive posture without some level of anticipatory action. Mm-hmm. I have to be willing uh, to let you move first and react to it to be able to succeed in that situation. But I have to be comfortable with planning for what that's going to look like. If I'm going to be a reactionary style business person or cage fighter or wrestler or dad, I've got to anticipate what my kid's going to do. So if she does it, I'll be ready to respond. Mm -hmm. That's reactionary. That's defensive. But there's the best defense. You know, the best offense is always a good defense. And it's no different in business. If if I expect that the market's going to crash this year, I'm going to put steps in place and measures to protect my business and myself and my family. But I'm not going to count on that. I'm going to be ready in case it does happen so I can react to it. Yep. Um, but you're not going to ever put yourself in a position where, you know, you're going to be dumbfounded and because then you don't have the ability to react. Yeah. You can't run if you're not staying on your feet. Mm-hmm. So you have to, if you're going to be a defensive reactionary style, you at least have to be standing. All right. Steve Thompson, thank you very much for being on here today. Thanks for having me.